the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, With us tonight, we're going to be talking to State Representative Dave Greenspan, who will be updating us on what's going on in uh, beautiful Ohio. Dave, thank you for joining us, as always. Oh, thank you. I appreciate being on on this hopefully warming springtime weather. Well, hopefully we finally made it, done with uh, all the, the winter time and, and that kind of thing. So Sunday night, this is uh, you know, Easter and also Happy Passover. Uh, well, thank th- you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, get right to business here in Columbus. What's been happening? We uh, are done with the first quarter. We're coming uh, to the end of April. What's happening in Columbus? Yeah, well, since we talked last, actually, we've, we've uh, been in full session and full swing of things, the governor, as I believe we talked uh, last month, had presented the transportation budget to us. And since then, we've now had the operating budget. But we did um, a little later than usual. We're supposed to have it passed by March 31st. I believe we passed it on the 2nd of April. But we did pass the transportation budget, which provides funding for roads and bridges and other infrastructure um, assets that we have throughout the state. Obviously, the the hot topic during the discussion was the governor's request to increase the user fee on on gasoline on the motor fuel tax, which his original proposal was uh, 18 cents on gasoline and diesel. The House contemplated that, came back with um, 10 10 cents and and 20 cents. I'm sorry, 11 and 20 cents on on 11 on gasoline and 20 on diesel, and then the Senate. Uh, when they passed their version out, I believe it was six and six, six on each. And so during the conference committee process and with the support of the governor, we did compromise and the, whereas the governor wanted 18 and 18 or a blended rate of 18 cents, the house and Senate concurred on a blended rate of 14. So 10 and a half cents for gasoline and 20 cents for diesel. And the way the formula works out, it's a blended 18 cents. Uh, increase to the state each each penny represents about 67 million dollars a year for roads and bridges and and let's be clear that money can only be used for roads and bridges for no other purpose and what we've done in there in the past the formula has traditionally been 60 percent to ODOT and 40 percent to the local communities counties and so forth we change that formula to be 55 45 so more money is going to our local communities. It's anticipated that this this adjustment will bring in about $870 million uh, additional money to the state um, and our local partners for roads and bridges. Well, and what's, so what's one the, of the what's yeah. the effect what's the effective date of the tax increase or implementation? So the effective date is going to be July first. Um, so coming up here at the end of this quarter. Um, we, we, which is when, which is when the transportation budget goes into effect. 
Um, one of the items that we heard that was compelling, and, and obviously no one wants to even discuss raising raising fees, but the last time the motor fuel tax was adjusted was back in 2002. It went into effect a, a uh, 2% increase over each of the next three years. So six, six cents in total, two cents um, in three, in three, four, and five, 2003, 2004, 2005. The expectation is obviously that the number of gallons gasoline sold will, will increase over time. And just a traditional model, and obviously we're seeing reverses in that trend due to a number of different reasons. And from 2006 until until 2018, that what I had heard was is the increase in number of gallons sold in Ohio had only increased by 3.17%. So, which meant fundamentally that the revenue was flat because it's not based on retail price, it's based on gallons sold. And so what's happened on the flip side, since that money is intended for roads and bridges, the cost to maintain a road or a bridge on 2006 numbers is worth about 58 cents in today's dollar. So what happened was, is we had, we had relatively flat revenue and we had nearly a doubling in the cost. And we see it as we drive our streets every day and over our bridges, how, how horrible they are because there have not, there's not been adequate revenue to number one, keep up with the pace of inflation, but also adequate revenue just to do normal maintenance on our roads. So um, what this means to our local communities, insofar as a, a percentage, I can give you this, it's about 65% more money for roads per community throughout the state of Ohio. So to put it in context, Westlake and North Olmsted, both around the same size, under the current formula, receive about $1.1 million a year for, from the state for roads. Now, that's in addition to whatever they do. They're going to get about $1.9 million. Um, per year. So it's, it's, it's significant to our communities. And we know that we've had issues with our roads and bridges for a long time. Um, if you remember last General Assembly, I introduced a bill to take half the surplus and put it towards roads. And we did get it through the House and installed in the Senate. Um, this at least addresses the issue I was trying to address insofar as providing funding for our local partners. Um, we also did in the bill, um, for the first time in Ohio, assess a user fee for electric and hybrid vehicles, which basically is tied to the number of uh, average lane miles, uh, average miles driven in a year, around 13,000. And the new state gasoline tax with for gasoline with the 10 cents added on top is about 38 and a half cents. So if you take the 38 and a half cents times 13,000, uh, well, you take the miles driven, divide it by the number of gallons. I think we averaged out to be around 25 gallons, and then multiply that times the 38 cents. We're actually below where that number for, forms in. We actually um, charge for for electric vehicles at $200 a year and for hybrids at around $100 a year. So what 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 we heard was also in the testimony and why, why this was important to address this issue at this time across the board is whether it's a declining population in the state of Ohio, increased fuel efficiencies of cars, or more importantly, what we're starting to see is an increased use of electric and hybrid vehicles. Uh, 2018's number, sales numbers on EVs and hybrid vehicles tripled 2017. 
So we clearly see that there's there's an interest. We wanted to continue to support that interest, but at the same time, provide an equitable funding mechanism so that all people who use the roads, whether it's electric hybrid or a traditional gas-powered vehicle, are paying in to maintain those roads. Uh, how is it that those who operate a hybrid or electric uh, car, like a Tesla or something, how, how do they get charged? When they charge their batteries, or where does that No, come? no. When, when they pay their annual registration um, with the BMV is, is when, when that fee will, would be assessed. That gets attached to it. Uh, during the yeah. testimony on the issue of raising the gas taxes for, for the roads and bridges mm-hmm. and so on, uh, what was the discussion about where Ohio would stand with regard to its cost for fuel, and was there any anticipated yep. uh, negative impact on our economy or our competitive nature compared with no. other states? That's that's a, that's a great point. In the Midwest, prior to us, our neighboring states, prior to, to us adjusting the, 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 the fuel tax, it's interesting, we were the second lowest. And, and when I say interesting, I, what I mean by that is Kentucky traditionally promotes themselves as having the lowest gasoline tax uh, and they're right in that however they charge a sales tax at the pump for gasoline which they don't compute into their number and they also have a property tax component on every residential unit in or every every piece of property in the state of Kentucky that goes towards road and bridges so when Kentucky says yes we're the lowest in the, in, in the region they are correct insofar as gasoline tax only in Ohio, our gasoline tax is the only tax at the state level that goes towards roads. But in Kentucky, they have others. So now fast forward, now that this gas tax is in place, the increase, we are still one of the lowest in, in, in the Midwest. Uh, other states are currently looking at increasing their, their gasoline tax. Michigan has a proposal to put a 40, I think we said a 44 or 45 cent per gallon Increase on their already high fuel tax. So this is an issue that that kind of puts us. I believe I saw the numbers. We we will be around 26 in the in the nation. So we're kind of right in the middle insofar as what our fuel tax is concerned. But I I, I would be I would be I would have to note how Kentucky does theirs because it's a somewhat of a unique unique model. Um, one of the other big issues we addressed in the in the transportation budget had to do with with uh, transit, public transit. We know that in Ohio, our public transit systems are woefully underfunded. And prior to this budget, Governor Kasich had appropriated $32 million for public transit throughout the state of Ohio. Governor DeWine had increased it by $7 million to $40 million. And although better than the previous years, it still fell short of what the number was before we had this managed care organization oh, we're going to talk about that tax in a moment. reduction we're going, to, yeah. we're going to take a short break we're talking to state representative dave greenspan here on, on easter sunday uh, talking about what's going on in ohio down in the state legislature we're going to take a short break we'll be back after these words you're listening to nick phillips on whk we'll be right back Children, the product of a married couple who were once in love. Unfortunately, sometimes the marriage does not work and parents must get divorced. 
This is traumatic for the children as well as for the adults. The law firm of Phillips and Millie offers advice and representation in family law matters. Remember, your children are entitled to the utmost consideration when mom and dad have to part. Phillips and Millie, your local law firm on the west side of Middleburg Heights. Telephone 440-243-2800. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle. You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back to Legal Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Dave Greenspan, State Representative from the Ohio Legislature. And again, Dave, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you. you know, we were talking about uh, the transportation budget and public transportation yep. and uh, the shortfall that was uh, occurring throughout the state, I would imagine, when Medicaid taxation changed somehow. Uh, what, it did. What happened it, it and how did. Are we making it out? Well, the, yeah, the federal government had, had ruled that that tax was no longer permissive to be charged. Uh, this was about three years ago. So in last, last uh, in Kasich's last budget, there were significant cuts to counties and public transit. So we, we sought to... Um, restore that funding i actually proposed an amendment to double the governor's 40 million dollar request to, to 80 million and um when we we sent it over to the senate we sent it over at 100 100 million dollar total 
annual appropriation and, and the negotiation came down to be at 70 million, which is just about the pre-MCO reduction level. So um, we are hopeful that this money will get out to our public transit authorities throughout the state. Uh, one of the, uh, I have the chair of the Transportation Subcommittee on Finance and the transportation budget traditionally goes through my committee. However, because we had such a short time frame, we heard it in full finance, but our committee and at, at the direction of the speaker, uh, we will be holding and we start actually uh, April 30th, our start, our first, and to my knowledge, um, first oversight hearings uh, beginning this month on ODOT to hold them accountable to the funding that, that they are appropriated, make sure that everything is, is, is moving as intended, and Director Marge Banks will give us his transportation plan, and we will then have subsequent meetings every eight weeks uh, to hear the progress of ODOT. Um, one of the big items that came up during the transportation budget was rail reform. A number of amendments came through related to rail and the rail industry in Ohio. And, and the speaker looked at me and he said, Dave, we're going to run this through your committee as well. And so we will start at some point probably in the fall, um, significant rail reform uh, review in the state of Ohio with hopefully a rail reform um, package of bills or, or an omnibus bill. Uh, but we're also going to take a look at our rail port, our, I'm sorry, our, our seaports, our airports, uh, and uh, public transit as we move forward over the next, you know, year and a half, a little more than a year and a half of this General Assembly. Um, taking seriously the role and the, the, the trust the Speaker has placed in me and that members of the General Assembly are looking towards me and so far as understanding and providing uh, guidance on our transit systems in Ohio. So I'm taking that role seriously, and we're going to start those initiatives with the first one being ODOT oversight starting uh, April 30th. Wow. Well, you know, when you mention rail reform, a couple things come to mind. Are we talking about uh, commercial freight hauling railroads and all the tracks we have around? Are we talking about light rail for urban, uh, you know, transportation? Public no, transportation? no. We're we're more talking about about the interstate rail as well as uh, not 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 the uh, public transit rail because there are limited opportunities in the state for that. Uh, obviously, RTA for us is a big issue. But no, we're talking about the, the industry as a whole. Uh, there's a lot. Of, there are a lot of old, outdated regulations that need to be reviewed, and so we're going to take that up um, as we as we start these 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 positions, uh, probably in September. Should be should be interesting. You know, another topic that we've talked about over the, the past months has been sports uh, gambling on uh, right. here in Ohio. Uh, can you remind us what what is that issue and what's happening? Yeah, yeah. So, so about uh, two weeks ago, uh, Representative Bridget Kelly out of Cincinnati, uh, she and I introduced the uh, sports gaming bill in Ohio, which would legalize sports sports gaming. Uh, the Supreme Court back in May of last year made it permissive for every state, if they chose, to offer sports gaming. And uh, every, well, I shouldn't say every, a lot of states are looking into it right now. Since that date, six states have legalized it. Uh, depending how quickly we move, we could be the seventh, which... We always hear Ohio's lagging in, in being a leader in, in, in industry or in, in initiatives and issues. This will clearly make us one of the leaders in the state uh, in the nation. I mean, what we're what our bill does is is, is we put the the um, we put sports gaming under the direction of the Lottery Commission. And some people would say, well, why the Lottery Commission, not the Casino Control Commission? We received an, a, a research request and, and 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 a response from the Legislative Service Commission, which is our nonpartisan body that provides us research and writes our bills and i asked them just simply is the lottery commission a, a permissive vehicle for us to have sports gaming run through 
And they actually, the response we got back was, is they may be the only entity in the state that has the authority to off, offer sports gaming because sports gaming is a game of chance. It's a game that the, the outcome is not determined by the participants who are wagering on the game, you know, such as you and me. I'm, I'm not talking about the integrity of, the, of how the sport's being played, but I'm just talking about the wagering of it. And because it's considered a game of chance and not a game of skill, it is believed that the lottery is the, is the, is the appropriate way to go. Um, the other challenges that we've seen with the Casino Control Commission idea is that the Casino Control Commission, um, under the Constitution, casinos can only do table games and slot machines. They cannot engage in and are prohibited from engaging in sports gaming unless, there's a caveat, unless our neighbor, one of our neighboring states engages in sports gaming, which two have, Pennsylvania and West Virginia, have both adopted legislation. But there's no enabling language in, in, that, in, in those states' legislation that would allow Ohio to, um, to, to offer sports gaming. So absent of that, and the belief that the lottery is the, be- is the best way to go, we have put it under the direction of Lottery Commission. The proceeds at the end of the day, will, will uh, the, the fee assessed to this will be 10%. Uh, it'll be paid just like you went to a casino. The consumer will not see that 10%. Casinos right now in Ohio, by the way, pay 33% tax. Um, and you don't see that. You don't go buy $100 worth of chips. And they charge you $133. It comes out of their profit. And that's how this will run. So there's no no concern. I know I was on Trivisano a week and a half ago, and he said, we're going to pay more, and I said, no. It's just as the casinos are run. Um, of the 10%, once the cost of administering the program and the regulatory and enforcement issues are taken care of, 2% will fall through to um, gaming and, and uh, addiction-related services, and the balance will fall through to education, as is prescribed with lottery proceeds. We envision right now without mobile, and I'll talk about mobile and online in a minute, uh, and I'll be very brief about that. We envision without mobile and online and under my proposal with Representative Kelly, the the venues would be the casinos, racinos under the direction of the Lottery Commission, as well as veteran fraternal hall organizations. We believe that will bring in about 30 to 35 million a year in, in new revenue to the state for education. Once mobile and online is introduced, and my bill does allow for mobile and online to be to be offered, uh, we believe that number could be between 60 and 100 million a year. The hesitancy in us coming up right out of the gate and referencing mobile and online has to do with the federal um, U.S. Department of Justice interpretation of the Wire Act, which is a reversal of a 2011 opinion, which basically would make interstate gaming uh, and lotteries. And I'm talking about the Mega Ball and 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 the uh, and and the, the power the power lottery games uh, would would make them illegal. And so there's a lawsuit right now in federal court in New Hampshire that's trying to figure and sort this out. Once the federal government fixes this, and I believe they will allow interstate lotteries, which will allow us in Ohio to offer sports gaming over the the uh, over a quote unquote device, which is what we refer to it in our bill that we will be able to participate in that as well. But but right now, at the, the way our bill is written, once the, the Lottery Commission has permissive authority to offer the product, sports gaming, through whatever sports gaming equipment that is, is legal and acceptable. And so we've crafted it in such a way to give broad authority to them to be able to, and this goes with everything within the bill, 
to be able to, to, to administer, run, and make changes to the opportunity we have in, in offering sports gaming as the environment in this newly regulated and legalized industry unfolds. Now, now, even though sports gaming is uh, and would be new here in Ohio, it's been in existence in, in other states. You mentioned there are about six other states that have done it. Uh, the, uh, is, is the system on how one would bet on sports, uh, the systems and the methods already established in Ohio would just be doing things that would be familiar to people who have been involved in sports gaming in other states? Are we doing something That's new? correct. No, no, that, that's correct. Right now, Prior to May of last year, the only state that was allowed to legally offer sports gaming was Nevada. And New Jersey was right on the heels. And I actually believe they passed a law waiting for the federal government to allow this to happen. So the six, the six other states I'm talking about have all come online since May of last year, in the last 11 months. Well, that's um, some, have a, some have a mix of how they're structured. Right. Some run it under the casinos. Some run it lottery. Depends what, how what their constitution's written. Well, we're out of time for it today. But uh, Dave Greenspan, thank you as always for, uh, for giving us an insight as to what's going on in Columbus and what we can look for uh, coming up. Uh, sure, well, thank the you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Oh, we love having you here. And uh, we'll see uh, if sports gambling goes through, sports gaming, how the Cleveland Browns turn out. I guess we'll use the Las Vegas odds makers to uh, look at what the odds are to bet. We're, hopeful. we're a hot team right now. Very hopeful, as they're all saying. Well, thank you very much. That was Dave Greenspan. Thank you. From the Ohio State Legislature giving us an update on what's going on in Columbus. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back. We'll be back in a few moments. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, the advocate. Don't go away. I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of the Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select Insurance for your insurance needs. You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle, you will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience 
at a three-star price. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the uh, next two segments, we're going to be talking about uh, making some sense of what's been happening to our political institutions and how they're affecting how we're being governed and how we're enjoying our right to have democracy uh, as our central form of government. With us tonight, we have Ian Shapiro, who uh, has written a book on the subject, and the name of the book is called Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself. Uh, Ian, for joining us tonight. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, my, my pleasure. Uh, if you can tell us a little about yourself, uh, you're associated with Yale University? I am. I've been teaching here in the political science department since the 1980s, and I work on democratic politics and institutions. Yeah, I I think I recall a book going back years ago called called The Tyranny of Democracy, which uh, this is like about 40 or 50 years ago, talking about Uh, the the risk. I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm afraid I am. But in any event... Uh, you know the the issues that uh, we were looking at then are somewhat similar to the issues we have have today. Uh, first off, uh, it seems voters are angrier; they have less uh, faith in the government, and there's just a, a mm-hmm. lot of negativity floating around our traditional democratic uh, organizations and uh, and philosophies. Uh, pretty much, what's what's going on? Do you think? So we think there's a paradox, and that's at the heart of our book, Responsible Parties Saving Democracy from Itself. And the paradox is this, that since the 1960s, um, there's been increased voter alienation from the political process, greater anger, greater frustration, um, declining confidence in all political parties and political institutions, any measure you want. Uh, you find things have gotten worse. But at the same time, we've seen reform after reform after reform geared to giving voters more and more direct control over politicians' decisions and political parties. And so that seems like a paradox. If voters have been taking more and more control, why are they less and less satisfied? And we argue that the two things are actually related um, because we have we have essentially created a party system which makes it impossible for parties to govern when they reach Congress, and then we blame them for failing. Um, So we're really shooting the messenger. Politicians are not, in fact, 
evil. They're response, uh, responding to the incentives that we have created. And the worst one is primaries, because the the dirty little secret about primaries is that um, they have very low turnout. And people who turn out tend not to be representative of the voters in their parties, never mind the voters in their districts. So you can get someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez picked as the Democratic candidate in New York in a primary election that had 11 percent turnout. Or in your own state of Ohio, Jim Jordan in in, uh, 2018 uh, was picked in a primary election that had about 16 percent turnout. And so what tends to happen then is when those people get to Washington, they have a, they have a choice. Either they can compromise with the leaderships of their parties and do the sorts of things that are needed to govern, in which case they will get attacked for having sold out by the people who elected them in the first place, or they won't, in which case we will get gridlock and dysfunction um, and everybody else will feel angry and alienated. So either way, uh, they're between a rock and a hard place. Um, And if they stick to the principles that got them selected as the candidates, um, we're going to get gridlock and we're going to get government shutdowns and everything we're looking at in Washington. Uh, Donald Trump, by the way, was selected as the Republican nominee by 5% of the U.S. electorate in very low turnout primaries. So this becomes... You know, but then if you have a weak candidate on the other side, he's the Republican candidate. And so this this reinforces the problem. Now, primaries have been around for more than 100 years in mm-hmm. Congress, but what's changed is that the vast majority of seats are now safe seats. More than 90% of the seats are safe seats, and so that means that the only election of any consequence is the primary, and that's why uh, the problem has become so much worse. You know, as you're mentioning, uh, the primary, see that over the history, just uh, as a, a casual bystander watching how vicious the primaries have been, and mm-hmm. as the attacks have become less civil and uh, outrageous many times, and, and then yeah. at the general election there has to be this big turnaround where there has to be party unity yet supporting this candidate who has already been the subject to all types of negative uh, attacks that came out during the season. So the voters yep. are, are, we're left out here uh, looking at uh, just hundreds of commercials that person that neither candidates fit for office because look at all the negative things being said about both sides. Exactly, and and since the people selected in the primary are quite some distance from the typical voter in their party, never mind the typical voter in the electorate, people, it's it's one of the reasons, by the way, that we have such low turnout in general elections, because people don't like the choices, you know, they're choosing between the evil of two lessers, as somebody once said. Mm-hmm. And so the the impulse to just, you know, turn the page and, and not pay attention becomes uh, very high. And and what it contributes to is extremely weak parties um, because the, the a, a party a party functions best when it's kind of operate as a team. You know, when they 
coalesce on a vision of what they think is right for America. If they get elected, they can implement it. Voters can hold them accountable, uh, whether if it goes well or badly, and throw them out if it goes badly, and go to the other party. But what we have is such diffuse accountability because all of these people who go to Washington have to resist the leaderships of their parties because otherwise they can't survive. Um, so it's sort of every person for themselves. And really, parties need to give conditional authority to the leadership. It's sort of like a sports team. You know, the, the quarterback and the uh, managers have huge amounts of power in calling the plays and devising the strategy, but it's conditional on delivering. If they can't succeed in winning, they're gone, uh, you know, in very short order. So in what we have is very weak parties. So you can have somebody like Nancy Pelosi lead the Democrats to four successive defeats and still stay there because the, the back benches the, in the party can't even coordinate on removing her because they're all answerable to different groups who have picked them in primaries and maybe have funded them and have their own agendas. Um, so we get ineffective leadership and the leadership can't uh, uh, control the backbenches or get them to support a platform because um, uh, if they did, they they would lose. So it's just you know, look at Mitch McConnell now. Mm -hmm. He knows there are, he knows there's a big majority in the Senate to to vote to reopen the government, um, but he also knows that he will face the kind of fate that Eric Cantor faced if he does it. He will just get, he'll get knocked off in a primary in Kentucky. And so it's not, it's Mitch McConnell is not an evil person. He's, he's, he's simply responding to the incentives that we have created. And we need to, instead of, you know, shooting the messenger all the time, we need to change the rules because um, otherwise nothing will change. Well, we're going to uh, take a short break. We're talking to um, Professor Ian Shapiro. He's a political science professor for over 30 years at Yale University, uh, trying to untangle for us, and I think doing a good job of it, uh, of what's been going on with our version of democracy and political parties and utilization of our voters. Uh, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk more to uh, Professor Shapiro concerning uh, what has been going on. And one question I'm going to have when we come back is, I, I think I saw a shift over the last, like I mentioned, 40 or so years where there seemed to be a more noble would get elected to Congress, that they would get into Congress and they would focus on doing what's right. Seemed to have lost that. <coughs> so we're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
More than just a dentist, Dr. Carl Hedgie provides dental treatments for occlusions, TMJ problems, and for aesthetic rehabilitation. In dental practice for over 30 years, Dr. Hedgie has provided state-of-the-art dental treatment for all of his patients. Dr. Carl Hedgie is skilled at treating and resolving complicated dental problems. Located across from the North Royalton High School, call Dr. Hedgie's office for an appointment or visit his website at drhedgie.com. That's Dr. Carl Hedgie, H-E-G-Y-I at 440-237-3338 for the very best in dental care. Hi, I'm Pat Lamb. Select Insurance Services is a family-run business and your personal shopper for auto, home, and business insurance. Plus, I'm Dave Ramsey's endorsed local provider. I think you'll agree, insurance is confusing, but at the same time, it's very important to your financial security. We believe insurance should be secured through a professional. Why? Because one wrong click in the do-it-yourself plan could cost you everything. Our approach stands out because we ask the right questions, listen to your personal situation, and share our knowledge to close potential coverage gaps. This is an experience a do-it-yourself plan can't provide. Did you know there could be a coverage gap when you drive someone else's car? So call us today, 440-237-8555, or check us out at selectinsservice.com. 440-237-8555, or selectinsservice.com. Hi, this is Nick Phillips, host of The Advocate. Pat Lamb and Select Insurance have been my insurance agents for years. Wonderful to work with and never a hassle. Call Pat Lamb at Select insurance for your insurance needs. You've earned the opportunity to enjoy a leisurely lunch as you sail down a European river enjoying spectacular views and the finest cuisine Portugal has to offer. Even better, you'll move on to Spain and experience the rich heritage of this country. Explore the early influences of ancient Rome. And since this is a culinary tour, see if their food can surpass the bar that the Portuguese have set for you. And yet, your adventure has not ended as you will travel to the land of poets, the Emerald Isle, You will see why Johnny Cash sang about Ireland's 40 Shades of Green. More than a tour, an experience worthy of any bucket list. Check out your itinerary on Facebook, Culinary Tour with Jerry Quinn, or go to ChristianExpedition.com. A five-star experience at a three-star price. Our military service members volunteer to protect us in the most dangerous places around the world. They step up. And when they are severely ill or injured, returning to their families is only the beginning of their long road home. Wounded Warrior Project provides these brave men and women whatever they need to continue their fight for independence at no cost for life. So now it's time for a grateful nation to step up. Join us at findwwp.org. You didn't plan it this way. You spent your entire life being careful, protecting your body and staying healthy when the carelessness of another changes your life forever. You need to know what's expected of you to prove your claim. You further have been changed forever. Know it's up to you to make your case. The lawyers at Phillips and Millie together have over 80 years of experience. If you have a case or think you may, call the law firm of Phillips and Millie at 440-243-2800. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Professor Ian Shapiro, the author of a book called Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself, um, Yale professor, and uh, in my opinion, an expert on what's going on with our democracy. Uh, and Ian, thank you again for joining us tonight. 
my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Now, as we're talking about the uh, the, the current um, state of affairs with regard to politicians and how they survive in office, um, is it my impression? Well, it is my impression, but is it a correct impression that it, it seemed there was more of a, a noble uh, viewpoint of going into politics, uh, going through the marketing phase or the election process, and then when you get to Congress, you join arms and you work and argue and you, you get yeah. things done in Congress. And th there seems to have been a shift, I think, that uh, when someone gets elected for Congress, uh, they, they know how they got there, and the first order of business is to get reelected and protect that seat at all costs. Yeah. And and mm -hmm. and the the universal joint good of working together and compromising seems to be totally out the window. Uh, is that is that an accurate observation? And if so, when did that start? I think it is an accurate observation, and it it's it's closely connected to what we were discussing in the previous segment. Because when you have a very low turnout in primaries. Those people tend to be on the on the extremes of the party. So that Republican primary voters are more conservative than typical Republican voters, and Democratic vote, uh, primary voters are more con uh, liberal than typical Democratic voters. And that's why Congress is more polarized than the electorate. Um, th there is increased polarization in the electorate, but nothing like the polarization in Congress, which on any measure has has um, ex uh, grown massively. And so we need, to, you know, when you think about, well, what could actually change this? So we, in our book, Responsible Parties Saving Democracy from Itself, we are interested in solutions, not just in hand-wringing and talking about, you know, how bad the problems are, bad as they are. Uh, one thing that would help a lot is that if, if the primary turnout uh, was less than 75% of the general election turnout in the previous election, uh, it would be discarded in favor of a candidate selected by the congressional party. Because the, the congressional party leaders have an incentive to pick people who can both win in their districts and support one national program. Um, and then you would get more moderate programs out of both parties and uh, trying to extract compromises from people at extreme polar opposites of the political spectrum would be less needed. Another thing you could do, and which we advocate, is stop the practice of state um, legislatures drawing districts and instead go like uh, some states have already done to giving that job to independent commissions. Uh, unfortunately, most of the independent commissions are actually bipartisan commissions. They're not really independent. And so they, instead of, you know, the state legislature creating safe seats for its party, they just carve up the state between the two parties. But either way, you get safe seats out of it. What the independent commission should really do is design districts that look more like America. Uh, so most districts, wherever possible, should have both rural voters and urban voters in them. We shouldn't have, you know, blue cities and red states kind of problem where, again, you just feed the polarization. 
the districts should be more like flower petals, if you like, around cities. So every every person running in a predominantly urban district would have to worry about the interests of rural voters. And every person running in a rural district would have to worry about the the interests of urban voters. And you would get different kinds of people elected then. And so you would uh, have a a Congress that looked more like America than like the, the sort of caricature of of warring factions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I, I know in our discussions and in the book, you seem to have uh, faith in the national parties and uh, suggest that maybe their organization should be reestablished. Uh, is, is that likely to happen uh, since we've evolved into what we are now, and that is these extremes? I think it'll be hard, and you you certainly have to start with baby steps rather than big steps. That's why, for example, we don't propose getting rid of primaries. I think that's politically a bridge too far in America. They've been around for 100 years, and in the presidential system, they've been important since the 70s. Um, But again, in the presidential system, one could have a similar rule which said that if the primary turnout fell below some threshold, that then the congressional parties would pick the candidate, which, by the way, we used to have um, the the until 1824, um, the congressional parties picked the presidential candidates, and then Andrew Jackson was furious when he lost to John Quincy Adams. This is the first populist assault on the American representative government and uh, demanded for 1828 that there would be a national convention, which is was the first convention. Then the next wave came with the progressives, and the next wave came with, in the post-Chicago convention in 68. So we've progressively decentralized control of the parties. Um, we're, by the way, not arguing to going back to smoke-filled rooms and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we're all for transparency, but the uh, and having party bigwigs and past presidents and mayors and so forth, uh, that just breeds corruption and side deals and so on. We're all for sunlight and openness. But I just come back to if we could re-empower the leaderships of the congressional parties, what's their incentive? They need a They need a party that they need people who can win in their districts, so they have to pick people that most people in their districts would one elected, and they need people who can support a national program. So they're going to pick the people in the districts, To they're going to pick to run in the districts the kind of people who could function on a team. I'll come back to the sports metaphor. Um, that's what it would be in their interest to do. And at the end of the day, we, we have to think of, of, that politicians are just like everybody else. They respond to the incentives you put in front of them um, because they, you know, people condemn them for trying to get reelected. But, of course, they can't do anything if they don't get reelected. Right, so right. we force them to. You yeah. know, in, uh, in, in listening to what we're talking about, you mentioned prior to 1824 the idea of having the essentially the congressional representatives of the party select their presidential candidate. It sounds a lot like uh, what, what goes on in England, the U.K., and having parliaments mm-hmm. elect their prime minister. Are there any other governments out there that we can take some of the elements of those governments, and uh, I'm talking about the Democrat, not the autocratic, but the Democratic governments, 
and try to seed into our system here that would help us improve? Well, uh, I mean, since you mentioned Britain, I should say that in our book, Responsible Parties Saving Democracy from Itself, uh, we look at, at, you know, we look at Britain, France, Germany, Eastern Europe, Latin America, and you know, the sad story is that they've done many of the same things. They've, uh, we don't have time to discuss it here, but they have also um, fixed things that weren't broken and made their political system much less functional, namely with the introduction of uh, referenda, which is why Theresa May is in all the trouble she's in uh, because of David Cameron's use of that. But making our system function more like a parliamentary system would be better. So anything you, we can do to get more cooperation and coordination across the branches which we, would be good. And if, if the congressional leadership had more of a say in the selection of the presidential candidates, they would be all, it would be, you know, the president would be more like a prime minister. Yet, you know, we're getting all this pressure to go in the opposite direction now. Everybody's saying, oh, we should get rid of the electoral college. It's so unfair. Hillary got almost three million more votes. But of course, if the president were independently elected, um, the president would actually have more power and Congress would have less power. And this is what you see all over Latin America, um, where the president's can more or less ignore the legislature and sometimes completely ignore it and then you essentially get you know a breakdown of democracy altogether right, right so right. far from far from strengthening the authority of the president we should be strengthening the parties in congress well, parties are the lifeblood of political of I, democracy. I do i do agree uh yes ian Chappelle joining us uh, tonight and giving us the name of the book is Responsible Parties, Saving Democracy from Itself. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver for the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.